Let's take a look at the old burn book and see what Stacy Davenport had to say about me. Let's see here. Gil Garcia is a fugly slut. Hey! Hey there, and welcome to Post Credits with Gil Garcia, where we go beyond the final scene. 2024 is in full swing, and we have a busy couple weeks ahead of the podcast. This week, we review the reimagining of the 2004 legendary comedy, Mean Girls. This film has been reinvented for a new generation with new scenes, new characters, and musical numbers? Yes, you heard that right. Mean Girls 2024 is a musical from the same creative team behind the original. Before we get to the review, I want to take a quick minute to thank everyone for the support, feedback, and cooperation on last week's Gilly Awards episode. I didn't mention it during the show, but I was munching down a cough drop the entire time, which may or may not have come across on the audio, but if you did hear me kind of slap my lips a little bit, it's because I was fighting back a cough pretty bad on that episode. But today, I am back, I am 100%, and I'm feeling confident to get back to the grind. Let's talk about next week's episode. There are three films that I'm considering for next week's show. We have The Holdovers, which just released on Peacock this week. It's a Golden Globe award-winning film starring Paul Giamatti. We have ISS, which is a science fiction thriller about a crew of astronauts pitted against each other in a space station. Meanwhile, World War III is happening down on the surface of Earth. And then there's The Beekeeper, a Jason Statham action flick which deals with a sensitive subject that strikes near and dear to me, as Statham embarks on a revenge quest to kill the people who scammed an elderly woman in his life. The reason why that movie interests me is because I am a computer technician. I go to people's houses for um, work, and I fix their computers. And a lot of the times I deal with elderly people who have been scammed by these predatory people out in India, China, Nigeria. And this movie seems to be all about that subject. So I'm very fascinated by that. That might be the winner for next week. But if you do want to see The Holdovers or ISS, let me know on social media. Please help me decide and message me on the post for this episode. One other note before we get to Mean Girls, I want to encourage you all to please subscribe over on YouTube. I'm in the pre-planning stages to launch my first video on the channel there. Currently, the channel is just hosting the audio of this podcast. I'm aggregating this episode from my RSS feed directly into my YouTube, but I'm going to be working on video content very soon. Starting with my top 10 best films of 2023, it's going to feel different from the Gilly Awards because I'm not going to highlight specific categories or anything like that. I'm going to rattle off the 10 films that resonated with me the most during 2023, and it's going to be a much smaller content form, so you can watch that video within 10 to 15 minutes and understand how I felt about movies last year. And then I'm also going to upload my worst films of 2023, which will be a lot of fun. And if all goes well, I will also have my most anticipated films list of 2024 going up in February. To find the channel, just search for Post Credits with Gil Garcia in the YouTube search bar or go to youtube.com slash pcwithgil. It's now time that we get to the movie of the day, Mean Girls, which I'm sure means this episode will be fetch. Here is Act 1, Expectations. Thank <laughs> you. 
Katie Heron is a hit with the plastics, an A-list girl clique at her new high school. But everything changes when she makes the mistake of falling for Aaron Samuels, the ex-boyfriend of Alpha Plastic, Regina George. Mean Girls 2024 is directed by Samantha Jane and Arturo Perez Jr., who are both making their directorial debut. And it's written by Tina Fey, who wrote the original Mean Girls, 30 Rock, Saturday Night Live, and Date Night. The film stars Angry Rice as Katie Heron, Renee Rapp as Regina George, Ali'i Cravalho as Janice, Jaquel Spivey as Damien, Tim Meadows as Mr. Duvall, Tina Fey as Miss Norbury, and Busy Phillips as Mrs. George. I'm going to admit something to you very, very personal. The original Mean Girls, to me, is not a guilty pleasure, because I don't feel any guilt in admitting that I love the original movie. In the mid-2000s, frat humor led by middle-aged men was the normal. We had comedies like The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Superbad, Talladega Nights, Knocked Up, etc. Mean Girls stood out because it really did define what a comedy led by females could be for a new generation. And all this was thanks to the brilliance of Tina Fey. I always admired Tina Fey for her comedic stylings and writing on SNL, her strong feminist political beliefs without being preachy or over the top, and her ability to crack a punchline in her films either with dry wit or with over-the-top goofiness. My main connection to Tina Fey mostly deals with her time on 30 Rock, though, as both Liz Lemon and as the creator of the show. Mean Girls from 2004 really laid the groundwork for 30 Rock, given the amount of cut-tos, self-deprecating humor, pop culture references, and cutaways. So going into this film, I wanted to see how 30 Rock and the years of experience that Tina had accrued over the years was going to reverse influence this version of the film. You know, back in 2004, 2005, I was a sophomore in high school, Mean Girls, Anchorman, Napoleon Dynamite. Yes, I know, Napoleon Dynamite. Those were the most quoted movies all over my high school campus. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard, It's your dinner, Tina, you fat lard. While I was on the school campus every single day. But that's just how comedies worked back then. The more quotable your film was, the more memorable it was going to be, and the more likely it was going to take on uh, cult status. And this movie really did it for women in 2004. You wouldn't go a day without hearing girls say fetch or get in loser or even reference October 3rd, which I didn't even know about until I got on social media. (laughs) I'd akin mean girls to this generation as what kids in the 90s had to experience when Clueless popularized the Valley Girl, California Girl accent. Clueless is another female-led comedy that I loved, by the way. Perhaps one day I'll revisit it with another Guilty Pleasures episode, but we'll get to that later on when there's some downtime. Mean Girls really was the clueless of the 2000s. I have a lot of history with this film. I really do enjoy it, and my expectations for the 2024 movie was actually pretty high. I think this is a story that can be told across multiple different age generations and with Gen Zers obsessed with viral fame, internet popularity, and gossip, I think the subject material is primed for a new reboot. And normally, I'm all against reboots. I think they're creatively bankrupt, 
easy cash grabs, and most of the time they don't even mimic the original spirit of the film. But I think this movie really lends itself to being told in today's age. So it's a bit embarrassing to admit, but up until about 48 hours before I watched the movie, I had no idea that it was going to be a musical. And to be honest, that actually piqued my interest even more. I knew the film had a Broadway adaptation, but it didn't even cross my mind to think that they were going to adapt that adaptation back to the original adaptation, if that makes sense. And, you know, perhaps maybe this is the start of everything. Maybe this is the start of a big year for Broadway musical adaptations. Later this year, we'll be getting a theatrical version of Wicked, starring Michelle Yeoh and Jeff Goldblum. And even Les Miserables is getting remastered for Dolby presentation in theaters across the country soon. We'll have to check and see how musicals do throughout the course of 2024, but this is a good start. Now, going into my showing, I knew I had to keep an open mind and concentration of how the movie represents the film that came before it. I did not want to go into it closed-minded, prejudicial, or in a foul mood, because that would just spoil the whole experience. And from what I've read from reviews, which we'll get to later on, that seems to be a recurring case with a lot of audiences. Did Mean Girls, the musical, the movie, make me want to dance in my seat? Or did it make me want to watch Godzilla Minus One again? Which, I still want to go watch it again. <laughs> Let's find out. Get in, losers. This is Act 2, my official review of Mean Girls. Now, throughout the course of this review, I'll be making several comparisons to the original movie, so there will be spoilers aplenty throughout this episode. My instant thoughts about this year's Mean Girls are that it's a good movie with some glaring issues. I really enjoyed how it significantly differentiates itself from the original movie while also keeping the same spirit. The musical element is a bit jarring at first, especially since the film opens with a shot of Damien and Janice singing in a garage to narrate the arrival of Katie Heron to North Shore High School. The shot gives us a brief overview of Katie's life in Kenya before she moves to the United States. Having never watched the Broadway musical show myself, I'd imagine the staging of this number is exactly the way it appears on stage for the live show. You see a lot of props and decorations swing in and out of frame until we transition to the modern day establishing shot of the high school. In comparison to Lindsay Lohan's version where Katie's the one doing the narration and we only see her in Kenya when they do those 30 Rock style flashbacks. This will become a central focus throughout the film as a lot of the moments where there was dialogue between the two characters or a quick monologue about Katie's internal struggles to fit in are replaced with large musical numbers that stretch the runtime and they can actually take away from some of the subtler moments that the original comedy had. You don't get scenes like the four-way call scene that happens in the original Mean Girls that really does establish how these girls are stabbing each other in the back and they're talking shit about one another. There's not anything like that in this film, and that's kind of a big travesty that this movie makes. But because they deviate from the way the original film was presented and those scenes where they're on the phone with each other, they instead replace it with large musical numbers, and the biggest detriment of this comes at the cost of Regina George's screen time. What made Mean Girls an iconic staple of the 2000s was Rachel McAdams' performance as Regina George. 
In that film, you saw how vile, ruthless, cold-hearted, and calculated she was in the way she bullied other students and the school and how everyone feared Regina George. Little backhanded compliments she would make about a girl's skirt and be like, oh my god, your skirt is so cute. And then the next minute, she'll turn to Katie and say, that's the ugliest fucking skirt I've ever seen. It's things like that you don't get out of this film because they don't have the time to do it. They spend it on these big productions of musical numbers and you don't get the little nuances. In this movie, we are mostly told how Regina George is the center of the school with a big flashy musical sequence, which was great though, but it doesn't show us why she is feared by the other students. It just tells us that she's feared. And it's a real shame because Renee Rapp She's excellent as Regina George in this movie. She earned this role after she performed it on Broadway, and clearly her talent carries over to the theatrical version. She has the charisma, the voice, the physical presence, and the look that define the character. Yet, despite Renee Rapp getting minimal screen time, she still stands out in this film quite significantly above the rest of the cast. Her introduction alone is pretty catchy and visually impressive with that musical number. The entire cafeteria freezes while Katie catches her eyes. A spotlight then beams down on Regina, and she belts out the best tune in the film. My name is Regina George, and I am a massive deal. It's, it's a good musical number. I like that scene. But like I said, instead of showing us how ruthless she is against the staff, the faculty, and the rest of the campus, they just show us something like this that explains how she is feared. It's expositional is what it is. But I don't want to be too negative. This musical number is really special. There's something seductive, sinister, and powerful with the way that she's brought on screen, and it does do the character justice. It's just that there's a bit too much of it when there should be more character work done. And despite my grievance with how little screen time Regina George gets in this movie, from this introduction on, I was all in on seeing more of Renee Rapp. I thought she was going to kill this role. But that's my biggest gripe. She just doesn't get enough time and enough of those little moments that Rachel McAdams had in the original film. Let's also take a minute to discuss the differences in the other casting choices, starting with our lead character, Katie Heron, originally played by Lindsay Lohan, who is now played by Angeree Rice. Angeree Rice may not have the heft and the star power that Lindsay Lohan had at the time that she earned the role of Katie in 2004, but she fits the bill for this version of the story. Rice, whom you may recognize as Betty Brant from the Tom Holland Spider-Man films, She's earnest, wide-eyed, and naive, and she plays that very well. And in some ways, I bought into her early-onset anxiety a bit more than Lindsay Lohan's version of Katie. However, I see a lot of problems with her performance, and particularly with the musical numbers. As a lot of people in my research have pointed out, Andrew Rice doesn't sing that well, and her musical numbers are kept to a minimum She has maybe two good musical numbers while the rest of the music is performed by the surrounding cast. That's one problem I have with her. However, the second biggest problem I have with Andrew Rice's casting happens when the turn occurs, when Katie goes from infiltrating the plastics to becoming the alpha plastic. I don't think Rice is quite convincing being a conniving, 
superficial plastic that Lindsay Lohan represented in the original film. But that doesn't mean that she's bad per se. Like I said, she does look the part of the plastics when she's wearing the makeup, the short skirt, the curled hair, and the valley girl speak. I just see too much passiveness out of her rendition to buy into the school hating her this way. She has all the qualities of a great simple protagonist, but she doesn't quite get there as an antagonist during the third act that I wanted to kind of root against her like I did with Lindsay Lohan. And that's a shame because I think she is a good actress, but maybe she was slightly miscast in this role. The next pair I want to talk about are Damien and Janice. The moral of the story is that you should always be true to who you are and to those around you. Throughout the journey of self-discovery, the two characters who influence Katie the most are Damien and Janice. Both are queer characters who are social outcasts and observe the school from a distant perspective. Katie learns about cliques, romances, and the plastics through their tragic backstories. And although they are good friends, they use Katie to infiltrate the plastics and enact revenge on Regina George. Warranted or not, they're not all innocent in all the high school gossip and chaos. But what makes these characters so endearing is that they treat people respectfully. They live outwards from the rest of the cliques because they're afraid to get hurt themselves. They bring Katie in because they recognize the uphill battle she must go through to survive the society of North Shore High School. The three friends create a bond that is the center of the story and wouldn't work without the charismatic cast of the actors who share great on-screen chemistry. In the original film, Janice is played by Emmy Award-nominated Lizzie Kaplan, known for Masters of Sex, and Daniel Franzes. Here, Janice is played by Ali'i Cravalho, known for Moana, and Damien is portrayed by Jaquel Spivey. Each set of pairs bring their own flavor to the table. I feel as though Janice and Damien this time around are far better in talent and charisma than the 2004 set of actors, especially when it comes to the musical numbers. Ali'i Cavallo shows off her powerful Moana vocals on screen so you can witness her full performance, while Spivey is punctual comedic relief. He has a few really good moments in this film. But sadly, though, they aren't given as much screen time either, which will stand as my biggest criticism and strength of this movie. Although I think the music is wonderful and the fourth wall breaking is done far more organically and brilliant here, the time it takes away from establishing these characters is to the detriment of the actors. If you're a fan of the 2004 version, a lot of that film actually fills in the gaps with these modern characters a bit. Expectations and impressions almost have to carry the weight of telling the minor characters' stories in this film. You go in knowing who Janice and Damien are prior to watching this film. Now let's talk about the duo on the other side of Katie's social circle, the plastics. Let's talk about Gretchen and Karen. I loved the original pairing of Lacey Chabert and Amanda Seyfried. I had the major hots for both of them when I was in high school. Lacey Chabert especially. Man, just watching the uh, 2004 version a couple days ago to get prepared for this episode made me realize just how hot they were, man. They were smoking. (laughs) The characteristics can be deemed as one note, 
you have the dumb bimbo blonde who can't spell the word orange, and then you have the mousy follower who grovels at Regina's feet without a spine of her own. And in the battle of the two versions plastics, I still gotta give it to the original cast. Even though I really enjoyed Avantika's Karen and Baby Wood's Gretchen in this film, I still think the original versions of the plastics are the perfect encapsulation of what that film is talking about. We'll see in one of our one-star reviews later on that this version of the Mean Girls doesn't actually live up to the moniker of Mean Girls. And I think that has to do with the way that this version of Gretchen and Karen are presented. In the original film, you really do see how conniving and backstabbing they are. They really do talk shit about one another behind each other's backs, especially Lacey Chabert's version of Gretchen. Here, I think they did a fine job of establishing the characters' personalities with charm and humor that I came to expect from Tina Fey's writing, but they also kind of spun things in their own way. I liked Gretchen a bit more in this movie than Karen. Baby Wood is an endearing floor mat for Regina to step all over, and you can really see her character growth has a bit more of an emotional punch in this version of the story. You actually grow to sympathize with Gretchen in this movie, and it sort of pits her as a fourth protagonist of sorts. Whereas in the original film, Gretchen is almost just as conniving and is just as evil as Regina is in the way that she deals with the rest of the campus. Karen, on the other hand, is fine. Aventika has some hilarious one-liners and bits that kind of fit the spirit of what Amanda Seyfried did previously. I think the idea of casting someone from a different race for this role was kind of a good call. It detours from the criticism and stereotypes of the dumb blonde gimmick. It took me a while into the movie to get into the character and suppress my love for Amanda Seyfried, but after the first house party scene, Karen kind of clicked. Other character comparisons worth noting are Aaron Samuels, Katie's mom, Mrs. Norbury, and Mr. Duvall. I always looked at Aaron Samuels as simple eye candy and a MacGuffin for Katie and Regina to fight over. But just like he did with the first film, I sort of forgot the actor and the character altogether when I left the movie. Aaron Samuels really is a MacGuffin in this tale of backstabbing. I think Andrew Rice and Christopher Brainy they have fine chemistry together and they do indeed make a good looking couple. But he's a pawn in the two girls' chess match, and he doesn't have much of a personality. I do love that Tina Fey and Tim Meadows reprise their roles for this film. I can't see any other actors but them following in their own footsteps. Mr. Duval still has that dry, self-deprecating humor that carried over from the first movie. And Miss Norbury is still that extra guiding hand for Katie that's stern but fair. Here's where there's a major difference. In the original film, Katie has two parents. In this movie, she only has one. Her mother, played by Jenna Fisher, is a single mom. And I also want to take a minute to shout out the fantastic casting choices of Jenna Fisher and Busy Phillips as Mrs. George. Not only do they do a great job of showcasing the philosophical differences between a mom trying to be hip and a mom trying to keep her daughter on the right path, but they look like spitting images of their movie daughters. No joke, just look at an Instagram photo of Busy Phillips with Renee Rapp. The two look like biological mother and daughter. 
And the same can be said about Jenna Fisher and Andrew Rice. They look like spinning images of each other. I think that's a great job by the casting director. And, you know, Jenna Fisher may not be a big theatrical actress. She has showed up in movies before. She's fine in this movie because she has such a limited role, but I can see how her acting range is very limited, especially because she's getting older. You do sort of sympathize with her being out of touch with this generation of girls and kids. Before I give my final verdict for Mean Girls, the musical, the movie, I wanted to speak a bit about the things that I didn't enjoy about it. Being a reboot, reinvention can present a lot of challenges. The weight of expectations, repetitiveness, loss of spirit and translation, and diminishing quality. Now, although the story remains fundamentally sound and solid throughout both films, there are just some things that just a simple scene of two characters having a chat over the phone can do that a five-minute musical number cannot do. The biggest case in point is the apology scene in the gym after the climax of the film. In this scene, the burn book has brought down the societal fabric of the school, shaking everyone's friendships to a core. Miss Norbury gives a heartfelt speech that actually states that calling someone dumb doesn't make you smart, and the dangers that gossiping behind someone's back can do to feminism. It's not as poignant as the first time Tina Fey did it, but the point remains relevant to today's day and age. But this is all sadly soiled by the musical number in the film, I'd Rather Be Me. Which is not badly performed, it's just poorly timed. This number comes after Norbury's big speech, and Janice goes up to the podium to tell the entire school off. This is where she gives the big ol' lesbian crush rant. But instead, we are given the misfortune of hearing Ali'i Cravalho's musical representation of that rant that immediately gets cut off when Regina George gets unceremoniously struck by the bus out of focus and almost off screen. This, to me, was the most egregious error that the movie could have done. It takes a part of the story which was done so well in the theatrical version, and it strips it down to an off-handed bit. There's no shock value or build-up. It just happens during the musical number when the focus is on Janice, not on Katie and Regina fighting in the street. I don't think a single person in the theater laughed at it either. They were just numb and confused. There was no shock value. It was just kind of confusing for everyone in the theater. I can't imagine how terrible that scene would have played out for people who have never seen the original before. Look, the song was actually good. But when the singing and dancing gets in the way of the big emotional story beats, that's where I have a problem with the reimagining of films like this. Up until this point, I was pleasantly happy and surprised with the film. I enjoyed the modernization and the touches they made to make it more relevant to today's age. How they used media, TikToks, YouTuber reaction videos, and the text bubbles that the characters use to highlight how modern teenagers kind of communicate to one another. It adds a fresh and new element to the challenges that Katie had from 2004 to what her counterpart has to deal with 20 years later. I can recommend 2024's Mean Girls as a solid time at the theaters, but I don't love it. People who are diehard fans of the original movie may take offense to the way the story gets truncated for the benefit of the music, or the deviations in some character choices, but if you go in with an open mind, you may end up liking it more than you expect. 
My final verdict is three out of five. It's a case of been there, done that, that takes some artistic precedence with its source material. But ultimately, there's a reason why the Lindsay Lohan version is regarded so highly. If you want to watch Mean Girls, just go ahead and throw on the 2004 version. Now, our final segment of the show is where I give you audience reception and filmmaking factoids. This is Act 3, Beyond the Final Scene. Okay, so although Mean Girls won the box office with $32 million on its opening weekend this week, audiences are split with critics in the court of opinion. Currently on Rotten Tomatoes, Mean Girls 2024 is scoring at 71% fresh with critics. The critics' consensus says, preserving the essence of the original while adding a few new wrinkles, not to mention musical numbers. Mean Girls is a sweet, if slight, update with an outstanding cast. Now, for the first time on this show, I have a positive to negative ratio with audiences on the negative scale. Normally on this show, I bring you a ratio where it's like, oh yeah, critics thought this movie was a piece of shit, but the audiences loved it. Critics really liked it, but audiences kind of hated it. People must really love the original movie because audiences are currently downvoting the reboot at 66% approval rating. To demonstrate the vitriol this movie is getting, here are a couple one-star reviews. Sherman H. kicks us off by bringing up a good point. Terrible compared to the original. I don't see how you can call a film Mean Girls when the girls aren't actually that mean. I do agree with the sentiment. The original movie presents all three of the plastics as conniving and passive-aggressive towards one another. These girls don't backstab or plot against each other as maliciously as the ones from 2004 did. In some ways, it does feel like they took the cliff notes and got to the good parts, and all the little nuances, the four-way phone call, the manipulations, they don't exist. Next, we have Cece, who sums up the feelings of a lot of reviewers on the website. She says, they ruined the movie. I don't understand why they made it as a musical. Perhaps it can be called misleading, but dozens of one-star reviewers on the website claim they had no awareness that this was going to be a musical. Some people have even said on the website that they walked out after the first 20 minutes because they didn't know that this was going to be a musical. And seeing Cece's review shows me that maybe she did stay until the end. But the music didn't hit with her the way that the original film did when it came to the presentation of the story. Perhaps over time, people will see that there are some good moments worthy of merit in this movie. But it's very clear that most remakes shouldn't be made unless there's something to be elaborated on or to be improved upon. And sadly for a lot of audiences, this movie doesn't get improved upon. It actually gets lessened. Let's get to some behind-the-scenes filmmaking factoids and call this film a wrap. The first filmmaking factoid, Tina Fey considered directing the film herself, but ultimately decided against it. Instead, the directing duo of Samantha Jane and Arturo Perez Jr. were chosen because of their Broadway background. The next one, originally set to be released through Paramount Plus as a streaming exclusive, the film was changed to a theatrical release by September 2023. I'm really curious to see how this movie does on Paramount+, Plus, because you know it's going to hit there in a few weeks. 
I want to see if the conversation on social media stays as negative or if more people are going to go to bat for this movie. This next one caught me by surprise, but this is the first feature film for Renee Rapp. Prior to this movie, her most famous work is on Sex Lives of College Girls on HBO Max. Yeah, but she has only appeared in that show. She hasn't done any feature films until this moment. And I think this may actually launch her into stardom. I think she's great in this movie. Now, throughout the whole film, Principal Duvall is seen wearing a cast. In the original film, Principal Duvall explains that my carpal tunnel came back to cover the fact that Tim Meadows had actually broken his hand just prior to filming. And he decided to bring it back as a character quirk in this one. This one's kind of fun because we did talk about Napoleon Dynamite earlier in the episode. When Damien is explaining the clicks in the cafeteria, there is a vote for Pedro sign behind him, referencing Napoleon Dynamite, which was released the same year as the original Mean Girls movie. Let's get to our final factoid, and it's one that I particularly like about the musical sequences. If you pay attention to whenever Regina George sings in the movie, the aspect ratio changes from flat, 16 by 9, to scope, rectangular one by one they do this to convey a music video vibe and you really do see it especially if you go watch this movie in dolby you'll see the aspect ratios change quite a bit in this film and that was done intentionally and that was mean girls if you went to watch the new movie let me know what you thought of it on social media you can find the show on instagram and x just search pc with gill If you haven't already, subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify so you don't miss an episode. I'll return next week with either The Beekeeper, ISS, or The Holdovers. Enjoy your week, everyone, and go catch a movie.